It's good to see everybody's smiling face in the house of God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Thank you, Jesus. Thankful for the wonderful presence of God that we felt here on Sunday. and Thankful that it is carrying on over. Hallelujah. It's good to see Brad in the house of God. Got a chance to meet him a couple weeks ago and... And uh, it's good to have you. Amen. We want you to always feel welcome in the house of God. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He said that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Amen. I want to talk to us for a few moments on this subject. Excellence in church. Excellence in in church. Would you set your Bibles down, lift up your hands, and let's pray one more time. I feel the good presence of God in this house, a good spirit. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God. We're so grateful to be in the church, the pillar and ground of truth. We're thankful to be in your house, God. Hallelujah. I pray that we take your word and that we would learn and that we would grow. Hallelujah. Somebody give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Shake your neighbor's hand, greet him in the name of the Lord, and then you can be seated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Excellence in church. I sure love Wednesday nights. Um, you know, that that's not everybody's favorite service, but I love them because... Wednesday night is an equipping service, and in the coming uh, months and years, Wednesday night is going to be used uh, very much so for that. We're going to teach and equip uh, because really our ministry is what happens outside these walls. Amen. And, uh, and though uh, we do ministry inside the walls, we are really just coming together and preparing for the ministry God has for each and every single individual when we leave this building. Some people think that, that, that church is a building, but I've come to let you know that church is a people. Uh, if you want to know, do I just go to church? No, you are the church. Do I just show up to church? No, you are the church. You are the representation. You are the ambassador of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. So it, it's not somewhere we come, uh, but it's what we are. Amen. And so... Today I want to talk about a little bit about the place, though, because we do gather together. It's not just, uh, it's not just what we are. It is a place. We do come as well. Uh, it's both. It's something we are, but it's also somewhere we go. We go to the church because here in our text, Paul is talking about the house of God, which is the church of the living God. It's the pillar and the ground of truth. It is a people, and it is a place. Hallelujah. So Paul is writing this 
uh, this, this passage of Scripture to the church, and he starts off by talking about proper leadership etiquette. Now, uh, I want to give a little background, but I'll tell you this is not an exegesis of this passage, uh, but there are some good principles of leadership that we need to have in the church. He talks about uh, the office of bishop and deacon. And can I tell you that all of those we could go and we'll talk about at another time, but ultimately I think these are all very good principles of leadership. He said that somebody desiring the office of a bishop is desiring a good thing. Can I tell somebody a little bit about what we talked about last week? We talked about being saved to serve, and it is a good thing to want to be used of God. Some people have been uh, almost ostracized because they express a desire to do something for God and almost shamed as if they are prideful. But that's not what the Bible says. I, I want you to know that in the church of the living God, it is, it is a good thing to aspire high. In the church, it is a good thing for people to desire to want to do more, to want to be more. It is a blessed thing. Amen. He says that, that it's a good thing to desire, but there are some, some, some requirements that need to be in place. And I would say that this is really good stuff for just about any leader in the church. He said you got to be blameless and of a good report of, with those that are within and those that are without. Can I help you that, that, that yes, we come to a place called the church, but we are the church. And so... It is very important that we live our lives above reproach and that we are uh, of a good report. And it's not enough just to have a good report inside the church. And let me just help somebody here and step for a moment and teach. It's not enough to be known as good old brother so-and-so in the church. And everybody knows, well, they're just a wonderful individual. But then you go to the restaurant and ask how they think about brother so-and-so and they've got a totally different view on him. He's a mean individual, or she's a mean individual, and, and they don't tip well. Let me preach about that for a moment. And they're, they're cheap, and they're always agitated. And, and can I tell you, it's not, it's not enough just to come to church and to portray a beautiful image of a good, godly person, but we have got to be leaders everywhere that we go. Amen. We've got to have a good report within and without. That means here and also when you go to the restaurant. Hallelujah. He said that, that to be in leadership, if you will, you've got to be of good behavior. You've got to be sober. You've got to be self-controlled. You can't be greedy. In other words, you've got to be generous, not greedy. You can't be a novice. That word novice means somebody's new to the faith. You can't be a new convert. I've had... Uh, even since being here, people that just showed up to the church and they, they want to preach or teach. Uh, uh, the Bible says to know those that which labor among you. And, and so I've, I've gently let them know that that's just not how it works. You've got to start by going through the proper channels. You've got to learn and you've got to grow. And, 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 and all of that is good and in order. He said you've got to be peaceable. You've got to be a peacemaker. You can't be a brawler. You can't be a fighter. I, let me help somebody. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not right when we come to church for people to be getting in fights. Oh, hallelujah. I know, I know it's Wednesday. We shouldn't have to talk about this, but we, we will. 
We, we are not getting into fights. We're not getting into brawls. We are called to be peacemakers. We, we were born again in the name of Jesus, and he is the prince of peace. We should not be looking for reasons to argue and reasons to fight when we come to church. We've got to be looking for reasons to come together and be in unity. He is saying, be a Christian. He said this, you've got to be in charge of your house goes back to being in good report within and without but let me just help somebody here he said you got to rule your house well you got to be the leader the bible says keep them with all gravity you got to keep your family and your household grounded and let me put a plug there about spiritual order uh, uh, i just I, i'm not a chauvinist but biblically speaking it is the man that runs the home i know that's not popular in a generation that doesn't know what gender they are uh, but 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 let me just tell you, uh, submission is a beautiful thing. It is not a chauvinistic thing. It's a it's a wonderful, powerful thing. And and so so men, we've got to be men. And I've learned that when men won't be me men, women will step up and start acting like men. And that's how this culture, because they become so effeminized and and they become emasculated, that now you see more women that act like men than you see men act like men. And so. Uh, gentlemen, we've got a responsibility in the home to make sure that we are we are setting the boundary, that we are keeping that house in order, that we have some gravity, we have some grit, because it will transfer to the church of the living God. He's saying if you're going to be in leadership, if you're going to be somebody in the kingdom of God, uh, you, you, if you don't rule your house well, how are you going to handle the church? And so we've got to be people that got the house in order so we can keep the church in order. And so we cannot allow family to get out of order. Uh, submission is still a must in the church. And let me just help somebody. It's not just for your spouse. Uh, it's not just for the wife to be in submission. It's not just for saints to be in submission to the pastor. But let me put a plug out there that this church is not a preacher-worshiping church. Hallelujah. How thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. This is not a pastor-worshiping church. I thank God for everybody that loves me, amen, and those that maybe somewhat tolerate me. Uh, but this is not a preacher-worshiping church. And what that means is uh, you don't just listen to what the pastor says and you don't listen to what anybody else says. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, we've got to be people that if there's somebody, even if they're in secondary authority or delegated authority, you listen to what they have to say because what they're saying is right. Well, I only listen to the preacher, or I only listen to my spouse, or I only listen to my mommy, and I only listen to this person and that person. You're out of order. You've got to be willing. If the usher tells you something, you listen. The greeter tells you something, you listen. The Sunday school teacher tells you something. The Bible says to submit yourselves one to another. I, I've used this example. There could be a little child in the church, and if, if I, and heaven forbid I ever did this, but if I say and I, I, I let out a word that I shouldn't let out or, or I cuss or I do this, and, and, and that's not becoming of a Christian, let alone a pastor, but uh, it doesn't matter who it is in the church. A little child in the church could come up and say, you know, pastor, that's not right. And, and I could say, well, who do you think you are? And that spirit of rebellion could rise up and say, you know what, you don't have any right to tell me I'm the leader. But you know what? If somebody tells you something that's right, listen. If it's a little child, I've got to say, you know what? What you just told me is in accordance with the Word of God. I've got to be 
in submission. The Bible starts talking about uh, wives, and it says that they've got to be honorable, faithful, honest. Uh, this goes for men and women, not gossips or busybodies. Uh, the church is not a place for gossip. It's a place for the gospel. Hallelujah. You should be so busy doing something for God, you don't have time to get busy in somebody else's life where you can find out the, the juicy gossip on them. And, oh, did you hear about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? The Bible says that they should not be double-tongued. Don't be a liar. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say, oh, I love you, and then go talk behind their back. The Bible says be careful that we do not bite and devour one another. This is good teaching right now. This is real good teaching. I'm going to buy the CD myself. Hallelujah. He said that they, they, they've got to make sure they are honorable, faithful. Uh, and, and, and in leadership and in the church, this is an order. This is right. Uh, we've got to make sure we're faithful people. We've got to make sure we're honorable people. We've got to make sure we're honest people. We've got to make sure that our yea is yea and our nay is nay. We've got to make sure we say what is right, mean what is right. And the Bible says that we should all speak the same thing. And then the Bible says that, that we've got to be those that have proved ourselves. We've got to be Christians everywhere. And then he goes on and says they've got to be given to hospitality. Uh, and, and that word hospitality means fond of guests. The church is a place for guests. Hallelujah. And leaders in the church have got to be fond of guests. We've got to be given to hospitality. It is very important that when a visitor walks in those doors or somebody that's not been here for a while, everybody ought to do their very best to take care of that individual because you don't know what they've been going through. You don't know how hard it was for them to come to church. Hallelujah. And in the coming months, we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to talk about going house to house. We're going to talk a lot about fellowship and and, and, and we're, going to, we're going to set up an area in the church for a little more fellowship. And we're going to do a lot more uh, fundraiser meals. And that's twofold. That is to raise money for different events and different things. But also it is to allow hospitality to take place in the church. Amen. So we are a hospitable people. And that is something we need to do. Paul writes about a lot of things through his epistles. But he sums it all up with the reason that we have to act proper in church. He says that this is the pillar and the ground of truth. And how we treat the church, how we treat the people in the church is very, very, very important. And though our traditional service structures might be different in each generation, there is still a proper behavior to have in the church. And, uh, and I'll talk about this for a moment. There are those that would say, well, we need hymnals. And others would say, well, we don't need projectors. And we don't need, we've got to be careful that we don't become married to one style. Because uh, I know that it's simple to get married to one style and say this is how it ought to be and it always should be. Um, but but, but the, the kingdom of God is a very fluid thing. Doctrine doesn't change. But, but sometimes we've got to be willing to change a couple methods of how we do things. We don't change the word of God, but we do change our methods in which we present the word of God. And so uh, we've got to know that in each generation and in each culture, there is still a proper way to behave ourselves in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 40. Paul puts it this way, let all things be done decently and in order. There's been a lot that have abused this scripture, 
to say, well, we should have quiet, boring church. Some have said, well, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and this is one reason we should not allow speaking in tongues in church. Uh, but it was this very same area of Scripture, this very same book, that Paul said, forbid not to speak with tongues. And so people have pulled this verse out of context and abused it. But I want you to know that this is still a very powerful verse. And, and if we can keep it in its proper context, we will really start to grow off of it. Uh, this does not mean that we don't allow the Spirit to move. This does not mean that we have dead, dry, boring church. This does not mean that we have predictable same old, same old, dry religious ceremonies. This means that there is a proper order and etiquette that is supposed to be followed in the church so the Spirit can move without carnal hindrances. There's an order, and everything's going to be done decently in order. In this current culture, in this current generation, in this current expression of worship, in this modern day and age. We may not have church exactly like they did in the book of Acts. We may not have our schedule the same. We are, no, we are also no longer uh, fleeing for our lives under persecution. And so that has changed the way that we do church. But we still have to have proper order in the way that we do church because we have to make sure things are done decently and in order. Tonight I want to talk about the four parts of an apostolic church service. This is the standard. This is typically how you'll see it across the nation. But this is how you've noticed it for the time that you've been coming to Apostolic Revival Center. There are four main parts in the service or in the church service. Number one, there is something known as pre-service prayer. Some people thought church started at 7 or it started at 2.30. But let me tell you, every service that we have around here, we allocate at least 30 minutes before that service so people can come and pray. Amen. And I'll explain this because there is the final part, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the final part of every apostolic church service is the altar call. And when we, are, when we come to church, if we don't come to church and behave ourselves properly, if we don't do things decently and in order, we are ultimately forsaking the most important part of the service. And that is when people can respond to the word of God in the altar. Everything we do in church is leading our place up to that Pre-service prayer is a time of prayer. Can I just preach and pastor for a moment? We need to rid ourselves of distractions. When we come to the house of God and we come into the church and into the sanctuary before service to pray, it's not time to get on your cell phone. It's not time to get on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Yelp. It's not time to plan your meal at Applebee's afterwards. It's not time to have a conversation with your brother, with your sister, with your friends. It's time that we come together and we have a conversation with God. 
Pre-service prayer is a time in which we pray. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's talk to God for just a moment. Hallelujah. Come on. We've got to put some things in order in the church. When we come, we're coming to pray. When we come, we're coming to get a hold of God. I didn't come to church to see how pretty your skirt is. I didn't come to see how nicely dressed you are and your tie looks. I came to pray. I came to get a hold of God. I came to turn from my wicked ways, seek his face. I've come to pray. We've come into pre-service prayer to pray. Now, decently and in order, is prayer supposed to be quiet? Are we supposed to be a bunch of Baptist church mice that just... Prayer is verbal. Prayer is not meant to be quiet. I know there's some folks that say, well, let's pray. And everybody bows their head and they pull the Billy Graham and nobody says anything. That's not prayer. That's mental ascension. Prayer is vocal. Prayer is verbal. Prayer is communication. Is prayer supposed to be quiet? James chapter 5 and verse number 16, Brother Brinson. The Bible says this, and this will help bring out another point. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Prayer is a perfect opportunity to get the carnal man under control. It's a perfect opportunity to get forgiveness before the service starts. And then he says it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman that availeth much. That word fervent is where we get the word energetic. Prayer was never meant to be drab. Prayer was never meant to be boring. Prayer was never meant to be Silent. Prayer was meant to be energetic. Prayer was meant to... Can I tell somebody, when you got that boring, drab, dry prayer, not a whole lot's happening, and you're wondering why, I'll tell you why. The Bible says it's the effectual, fervent, energetic prayer of a righteous individual that begins to pull heaven down to earth and begins to take problems from earth and bring it before heaven. It's that person that gets in prayer and gets out of the flesh and gets out of the carnal man and begins to commune with God. It's in that type of prayer that the fire falls. It's in that type of prayer people are healed. People are forgiven. People are delivered. This is a praying church. This is not just a boring prayer church. This is a fervent, energetic, praying church. Oh, somebody lift him up and magnify him. Oh, come on. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. If we don't take care of our prayer before church, and let me just put a, a plug out there. Uh, there's some folks that work late, and I understand. There's things that come up, and life happens. Uh, we should be people that don't just wait to come to church to pray. We should be praying all week long. And then when we come to church, it's an opportunity for corporate prayer where we are binding together. We've already taken care of private prayers. We've already made sure we made our requests known to God. Uh, we've asked for what we have need of. Uh, so when we come to church, we got one singular focus. Uh, we're praying God fill these altars. Uh, we're praying God fill people with the Holy Ghost. Uh, we're praying God move in this service. Uh, oh, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. Prayer is energetic. The Bible says in Jude chapter 1 verse 20, 
But ye, beloved, building up your most, yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Prayer builds faith. Can I preach to somebody? When we come to church, you might be suffering from so, all sorts of doubts. You might have bill collectors on your doorstep. But when you come to the house of God, you can leave that not at the door, but leave it at the altar. You can begin to pray. And where you didn't have faith, all you had was fears and doubts and unbelief. You can come begin to pray, not in your carnal man, not in your carnal nature. You can begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, you get a faith that's stirred up that all of a sudden God can do anything. Everything we do in church takes faith. And if people don't pray in the Holy Ghost, we're not building up our faith. And that's why some people come to church and they don't expect a whole lot to happen because they're so full of doubt and unbelief. Amen. That, 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 that we just come into church and, well, let's just go through the motions. But when the people come and they gather for prayer before that service, all of a sudden things begin to change and all of a sudden things begin to happen and faith is stirred up. Acts 4 and 31, this is what happens when the church begins to pray. Pre-service prayer. And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Some folks want to have the word of God begin to shoot out like arrows and hit every mark and, and touch every life. Amen. But I've got to let you know, if the church is not praying, if the preacher's not praying, there's not a whole lot I can preach about. There's not a whole lot I can do. I can preach till I'm red in the face. I can preach until I preach my suit out but if the church is not prayed the word of God can't come forth the proper way if the church isn't praying the word of God can't be received right if the church isn't praying we're a praying church we've got to be a praying people prayer allows us to remove the carnality of the flesh from the service so the word of God can flow freely you've been in services like that I love it. I love when the prayer room rumbles. And I know, let me just help somebody. I know we don't have a prayer room because we're a little tight on space. When we get ready to do this cleaning, we're going to clean up this area in the back, the book and tape room. We're going we're gonna to clean that out. We're going we're gonna to create some space for fellowship. And, 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 and that way, if, if you want to go in fellowship and you've already done your praying, you can go out those back doors. Now, let me put a plug for the greeter ministry. Don't stand at the door. Go down the hall. We'll get some chairs and tables here in a little bit so you can fellowship so everybody else that's in the church can begin to pray. Hallelujah. Because we're not here to communicate one with another when we're praying. We're here to talk with God because we want the Holy Ghost to flow. We want people filled with the Holy Ghost. We want the Word of God to be spake with boldness. Amen. Let's say the church doesn't pray. What is the next step? in the service praise Psalms 47 and 1 if it doesn't break in the prayer room it's got to break in worship oh hallelujah if it doesn't break in prayer it's going to have to break in worship every service you, you got to realize we're doing spiritual warfare there's 
that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and the rulers of, of spiritual wickedness and, and darkness that's in high places. We are, we are warring in the spirit. And every service that we come into, it might just feel like another religious ceremony for you, but there is something spiritual happening. There is a battle that is happening. There are lives at stake. There are souls at stake. There are people that are making eternal decisions. And when the church comes together to pray, we are helping them. We are fighting against the spirits of this age and of this area. But if we miss it there, and I, I promise there's some folks that are connecting it cognitively because you've been in services where it rumbled in the prayer room. You didn't even have to wait for the note to hit. You were already worshiping because something happened in the church in that prayer meeting. But there's also been moments where people are checking their Facebook and things are going on and, and maybe there's just a lot of life and people don't have the attention span to pray and now we come to the worship service. How do we behave ourselves in the worship service? Psalms 47 and 1, oh, clap your hands, oh, ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Can I tell you that the right way to behave yourself in the worship service and in the praise service, I'll tell you clapping and shouting is a part of church. Hallelujah. Let me say that again for all those that were told. You go to church, you sit down, and you shut up. I've come to tell you that is not in the Bible. When you come to church, ain't nothing wrong with clapping your hands. Ain't nothing wrong with lifting up your voice and shouting to good God with a voice of triumph. That's, I'll tell you, that's in order. That's how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. That's how we ought to behave ourselves in the church. But I'm preaching about excellence. Let me help somebody. If you're going to clap with the song, please clap on beat. Do it with excellence. Psalm 68 and 25. What's in order in the church? What is, what is the right way to behave yourself in church? What is decent and in order? The Bible says the singers went before, the players on the instruments followed after. Among them were damsels playing with timbrels. Can I let somebody know that singing and using instruments in the church is in order? Well, I don't know about that. We, we, we've been told all our lives. We went to this church, and they said, you can't have drums, and you can't have guitars, and, you know, it's a little loud. You don't need an organ, and, and yet if you read through the book of Psalms, you'll find, uh, he said, praise them on the stringed instruments. He said, praise them on the high-sounding cymbals, the loud-sounding cymbals. Can I help somebody that when we come to the church, there's nothing wrong with singing to God. That's in order. That's decent and in order. There's nothing wrong with playing instruments in the church of the living God. There's nothing wrong with giving our very best in worship. The Bible says to sing joyfully unto the Lord. you got to sing with the music. Don't sing your own song. Same time to make up your own lyrics. Hallelujah. We try to project them on the screen so you can see them. Hallelujah. And, uh, and, 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 and let me just tell you, if Brother Troy were to get up and just beat those drums however he felt like that day, uh, there'd be a lot of people wondering what's going on. When you play an instrument, you play it with excellence. The Bible says to play skillfully unto the Lord. 
Let me help all the tambourine ministry in the church. It did say to praise him with timbrels and the dance. Uh, but, but let me help you out. If you're going to play, please play on beat uh, so you don't throw Brother Troy off. Hallelujah. Because we didn't come to church just to make noise. We came to worship. We didn't come to church to just beat on some drums and, and just act like a bunch of crazy folk. No, there is intention in my dance. There is intention in my playing. There is intention in my shouting. There is intention in my hand clap. There, that's decent and in order. Second Samuel 6 and 14. The Bible says, uh, let me make sure I got the right one, 6 and 14. Hallelujah. You got 10 verses to go, bro. That's all right. He wanted to read a little extra. I ain't going to do that to you today. We're going to get there. Hallelujah. There we go. All right. The Bible says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. (laughs) He didn't dance half-heartedly. He didn't dance just that he had to, and he had to do it because maybe somebody was watching him. In fact, uh, he danced in such a way he didn't care who was watching him. Amen. David danced with all his might for those that say, well, you don't dance in church. Well, there's some folks that dance at the club before they came to church, and now they won't dance in church. They're too worried about their hair getting messed up and their and their nice suit getting a little wrinkly. I've come to let you know this is an apostolic church and we believe the Bible. When you come to church, you take off your kingly robe. You go ahead and throw your piousness out the window and you begin to... You begin to dance with all your might. You give God everything you got. Hallelujah. That's all right, Brother Christian. You just got to where I'm going in a minute. You go ahead and give God to everything. But we got to do it decently and in order. Dancing in the Bible was not. Now, for those of us that don't got rhythm, myself included, I try my best. It's as if for those of us that can't sing, I sing joyfully. Doesn't mean it's joyfully to you. It's joyful to the Lord. I, I can't dance on beat, but I sure try. Uh, I don't believe that David was running into other people. Dancing in the Bible was intentional. It was not random. Do not throw yourself around with your eyes closed. Uh, You can dance however you want to dance with all your might, uh, but please watch where you're worshiping. Because there might be another brother, another sister, or or, or Lord will it, a visitor that wants to come worship next to you, but you got to keep your eyes open and make sure you don't knock them over. Oh, that's good teaching right there. We've got to do it with all our might, but we also got to do it with our mind. We also got to do it with intention. We also got to do it with the best rhythm we can present. Acts 3 and 8. Dancing is an order in the church. For those that say, well, I'm just going to sit back like a bump on a pickle. You are out of order in the church. I'll let everybody else worship. Okay, my call. Go ahead and make fun of everybody that's worshiping. Go ahead and make fun of David's. Uh, but you don't realize uh, they were on the backside of the mountain writing love songs to God long before you showed up. They were there fighting lions and bears. They were going through troubles and trials you weren't even a part of. And God delivered them out of them all. They were fighting giants. They were slaying devils. And you weren't even there to help them along the way. And he said, my call, I didn't do this for you. This was for the Lord that called me long before you and I ever got together. 
I know that this is a little crazy, but don't let your spouse ever stop you from worshiping God. Don't let your children ever stop you from worshiping God. You give God praise because it's in order. Acts 3 and 8, the Bible says, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, jumping in churches in order. But I promise you, he didn't do it in such a way that he knocked Peter and John over. Uh, you know, you know, you know. the best way in church, in an apostolic church, I never thought I'd have to learn karate when I showed up to church. I'll never forget, see, we got this beautiful altar space right here. We didn't have that when I first got saved. We were so we were we were we were we were so tight in that building. We had we had the chairs right here and the altar was right there. And I'm standing. And mind you, it took a long time for me to get to the front. And, and by the time I got to the front, I thought by by doing this, I was real living for God. I was on fire. I had one hand up, and I'm like, man, I'm really living for God right now. And and, and inevitably, in every apostolic church, there's going to be somebody that worships with their eyes closed. And it's always the dude that's got the lankiest arms and the longest legs. Or the sister, who knows. And he just started going wild. I was like, bro, you can tie your shoes walking down the street. And he's throwing his arms everywhere. Hey, some people are laughing because you've experienced this. Uh, but I'm trying to set the church in order. And he starts worshiping. And he hits me down low. And I go down. And, and then he swings his arm. And he hits me across the face. And all of a sudden I realize i got to block. i got to wax on, wax off. i got to try to defend myself. You're laughing, but I lived through it. And I, I got the bruises to prove it. Amen. But, but he's, he's doing all these crazy things. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, when you jump, you know what? Find your space. Find your radius. This is decent and in order. Find, don't, don't. Oh, I'm going to praise over here now. Now I'm going to praise over here, and I'm going to knock somebody out. And, and Brother So-and-so, who's just genuinely trying to worship God, is getting knocked out and laid cold. We don't want to do that. Can all the church said amen. All the church said hallelujah. Amen. We don't want lawsuits in the church. That's not going to help revival. We don't, we don't need people getting their teeth busted out because somebody won't open their eyes once in a while when they worship. Uh, did you know you can worship God with your eyes open just as well as you can with your eyes closed? <laughs> Hallelujah. Psalms 18 and 29. David said this. He got so excited about God. For by thee have I run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. I've come to let you know that we have a tradition in Pentecost. And i got to put it that way because it's not a doctrine. We have a tradition in Pentecost of people running the aisles. They get so excited about what God has done and what God is doing that just like Brother Christian, they took a lap and they begin to run and worship God. I'll tell you right now, that's decent and that's in order. Ain't nothing wrong with getting excited about how good God is. Amen. If they can run around in the world, if they can run on a track team, on a basketball team, on a soccer field, in a football team, you go ahead. You go ahead and run in here. Go ahead and let your kids run for God and be excited to be in church and be excited to live for God. It is decent and in order, but let's get a little thing straight. Please run in the same direction. I'll never forget when I first got saved, my brother, I got him in church, and my brother liked these real slick shoes on the bottom. And, and he started running them aisles. He's, he's short, stocky, and fat. And he's running those aisles like, he was, like his life depended on it. 
And sure enough, somebody got the bright idea to run the opposite direction. And here goes my brother right across the tile. And he slides. And that, let's just put it this way, there was, there was, a, there was a falling out in the church that day. Amen. If you're going to run, keep your eyes open. If you got little kids, kind of hold them close if you see somebody running. Because I've seen that too. Again, my brother just laid out a five-year-old. Hey, we're going to have fun in church. There's nothing like being in the apostolic church. I don't miss church because you never know what's going to happen. It's exciting, but, but you got to watch where you're going. We, 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 I've noticed we run this way. We go around this aisle. Don't go around this aisle. you got musicians. and Do your thing, but, but when you come, if you go this way, go around. Be careful because Brother Christian might run about 300 miles an hour and knock you out, and that's your fault, not his. Hallelujah. But keep your eyes open. Worship the Lord. Get excited, but don't be dumb. Hallelujah. Please put that as the quote. Hallelujah. Don't be dumb. Amen. So do it in the same direction. I'll never forget uh, another thing. If you're going to kick your shoes off, ladies or gentlemen, depending on how you feel. Amen. If you're going to kick your shoes off, please do it under your seat. I'll never forget a good old sister running the aisles. She was so excited. She had her combat boots on. Now she started running, and those combat boots were just not tied too tight. And as she's running, it was like a 50 caliber bullet. And she's just, she's like doing a marathon trying to do some, she's trying to leap over a wall. I don't know what's going on, but she swings her leg, and that cowboy boot or whatever just goes flying across the church, and it sent a dent, and it just busted a hole right in the wall. So... Run, worship, be exuberant, be excited, but please do it with your eyes open and your boots tied tight. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 12. I hope this is all right tonight. You know, I hope you're enjoying this series on excellence uh, more than I am preaching it because it's not always easy to tell people that we've got to come up a couple notches. People don't always like it when you tell them they could do better. Sometimes they feel like you're, you're being mean to them. But, but I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I see it that I, I view that there's greatness in every individual in this church. And Amen. And I don't ever want a visitor walk in and see the church with their arms folded and not doing anything. I don't want this to get misconstrued. I want people to come in church and see people worshiping exuberantly. Amen. I'm so thankful to be pastoring a church where I actually have to rein you in and not try to get you to go and do something. I was in the south long enough. They were twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They were three times dead. They, you couldn't push them to worship. You couldn't, they, they didn't, you didn't have to worry about them clapping on beat because they didn't clap at all. I'd rather have a church that maybe doesn't have it all the way right, and they may not dance all the way everybody else, but at least they're doing something. I'd rather have to rein people in than kickstart them. Amen. 1 Corinthians 16 and 1. The Bible says this, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Can I tell you that giving is still part of worship? Hallelujah. I said giving is still part of worship. It's still something that we need to be invested in. Uh, uh, let, me, let me help somebody out that, that we've got to be people that are givers and not just takers. 
The Bible says, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me in tithes and in offerings. It is possible to be a thief and still come to church. We've got to be people that say, you know what, God, I'm just going to give you what's yours. And Paul put it this way, that every time you come into church or the first day of the week, you just bring your offering. He said, so that I don't have to collect it when I come. I've been to churches like that. People refuse to give because there's no generosity in the church. And the preacher realizes we got to pay light bills, and he's trying to keep the doors open. And he has to come up and beg for the church to give. I'm thankful we don't have to worry about that in the church here. Amen. But giving is a part of worship. And I've seen church services get locked up because people refuse to give. I've seen it happen before, and I, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't want that to happen in the church. I don't want people to get robbed from their blessings. He said that if you give, I'll open the windows of heaven, and I'll pour down a blessing. You don't have room to receive. I don't want heaven to get locked up on any individual. I don't want heaven to get locked up on the church. I don't want heaven to get locked up on your family. Amen. Let me just put a plug out there, and I'll, I'll probably be talking about this in the next little bit. We're going to talk about excellence in finances. We're not just going to talk about giving in church. We're going to talk about uh, other good things because the Bible talks a lot about money, and it'll be exciting. It'll be a good one. Uh, but, but if you're a leader, if you don't give, please step down. I don't want to have to chase anybody down. I don't see what people give, but they tell me if people don't give, I don't want to have to be that guy. I'd rather not. I'd rather get up and preach and just have a move of God. But if you're a leader and you just don't see the need and you don't feel like you have a responsibility like everybody else to keep the lights on, then you probably shouldn't be a leader in the church. So please do us all a favor. Take yourself out of leadership, and that's in order. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Let's say that people don't worship. They don't pray, they don't worship. Then what happens? I get up to preach. And now we're in the part of the service where preaching is happening. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. And now it comes down to the preacher to break through. And it's not always easy. I'm thankful we got a church that knows how to preach with the preacher. I really am. I really am. I've, I've preached in a lot of libraries before, and man, I'll tell you, I couldn't wait to get out the doors. I'm thankful to be in a church that's not that way because there's something that happens when the preacher's preaching and everybody else preaches with him. I promise I preach a whole lot better when people preach with me. Hey Amen. You make me the Lone Ranger. I feel like the Lone Ranger, and I'm ready to, I'm re you know, I'm actually more liable to go longer when people don't get with me. I'm kind of like a I'm like a, a sledgehammer. I'm, I'm just like a jackhammer. I'll just keep going because I feel a brick wall, but I'm a lot shorter of a preacher when people are with me. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 4, Paul put it this way. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For those that want to know what's in order, when it comes to church and when it comes to preaching. Can I help you out? Preaching was always meant to be powerful. It was meant to impact, not to impress. It was not meant to stroke the intellect of man. It was not meant to be a cute little TED Talk by a dude that doesn't know a whole lot. But this was meant to be the power of God unto salvation. Preaching's a powerful thing. Uh, the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Uh, and God said that it's by the foolishness of preaching. Uh, he chose to save them that would believe. Uh, can I tell you, it's important uh, that when we come to church, uh, we have good preaching. Uh, it's important when we come to church uh, that we have powerful, life-changing demonstration, uh, powerful preaching. 
Hey, there's some folks that want to go to a church where the guy gets up on a bar stool and they got they got these fog and lights and he gets up and gives this cute little TED talk. TED talk for some of you older folks is when they talk about something. Amen. And and so so it, it's where they get up and they give this cute little oh this is what we're going to talk about today and and you don't know you don't even know what's going on and, and this guy gets up and just gives all this cute little information that doesn't help nobody change nobody. I'm going to tell you, power preaching was never meant to impress your intellect. Preaching was meant to have it where you walk in on drugs and you walk out delivered by the power of God. Preaching is the kind of thing uh, where you can walk in shackled and chained up in your spirit, but the anointing begins to flow and it breaks the yoke off your neck and where you weren't able to lift your hands, all of a sudden now you're free to worship and where you weren't able to dance, now you're free to dance and where you weren't able to be free to live for God, now you're free to live for God and it comes through the power of preaching. It comes through the power of God's word being spoken over a pulpit and preach to God's people. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's magnify him. Come on. I'm thankful for the day that I walked into church and the preacher wasn't ashamed to preach the word of God. I'm so thankful I walked into a church where he wasn't just trying to give a cute TED talk to try to help me cope with my problems, but he preached me out of my prison. He preached me out of my problems. He preached, oh, somebody worship God. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 4. The Bible says this, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. We're going to skip through all the names. The Bible says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. What book? The law of God, the word of God. For he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Ain't nothing wrong with standing up when we read out of the Bible. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered. You mean to tell me Ezra read from the word of God? He preached from the word of God. He got behind a pulpit. And he began to tell all the things in the word of God about the great Lord, our Savior. And the people didn't sit back. The people didn't shut up. The people weren't quiet. I'll tell you what's in order. And all the people answered. Answered, amen, amen, with the lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When somebody's preaching to you, you've got a responsibility to not sit back, to not shut up. Your responsibility is to say, I agree with that word. I respond to that word. There's something that happens. Come on, saying amen is in order. Worshiping God is in order. Bowing your head is in order. Lifting your hands is an order. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and magnify the Lord. Oh, come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift up your voice. When you respond to the preaching, that's an order. When you say amen, that's an order. When you agree with the word of God, that's an order. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 36. We're talking about how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. The Bible says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people. Well, I don't feel like it today. No, I had a rough week. And all the people. And all the people said amen and praise the Lord. 
Can I tell you, when you come to church and you hear the preaching of the Word of God, it is in order to praise God. It is in order to say amen. It is in order to go ahead and respond to what you hear. It is okay to respond to what you feel. Let me just put this in excellence. No war cries are shrieking. I'll say that again. No war cries or shrieking. That is not in order. We don't want to take attention away from the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't want to take attention off of God and God's presence. I, I, I know I'm not the only one that's understood that and experienced that. I remember being in services many times uh, where there's somebody that just is tired of the preacher getting all the quote-unquote attention, and, and they don't realize that people's lives are being changed. And so they've got to do something extraordinary to try to get everybody to look their direction. And so they'll do a banshee war cry, and they'll do some other things, and, and they think that they're being spiritual when all actuality they're being very carnal. That is not in order, but I'll tell you what is in order. Worshiping God. Saying, Lord, I agree with what you just said. God, I want that in my life. If the preacher's preaching that God will bless you, there's nothing wrong with saying, I want it, Lord. Send it down to me. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I claim that in my life. Hallelujah. And then after all of that, we come to the altar call. If people don't break it in the prayer room and they don't break it in the prayer service and myself or anybody else that gets up to preach preaches their guts out and it doesn't break there, chances are we're probably not going to break it in the altar. Hallelujah. But we then come to the altar call. And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 13. We'll go ahead and move past the first part says, and they that wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Don't you know that? And that word wait's not just hanging around. It's talking about those that are intertwined, intermingled with. They are working with. Hallelujah. And of course, this is referring back to the Old Testament and those that would eat of the altar. But we know that we have a different kind of altar here. It's an altar where you don't eat physical food and physical sacrifice. But it's a place where you can lay your sins down and you can be forgiven and you can be washed. It's a place where you can come and have your life changed. And it's at this altar, the Bible says, that they that are working with the altars, those that are intertwined with the altars, those that are waiting in the altar are partakers with the altar. Can I tell you that you ought to come to the altar every time you get an opportunity. Don't hang back in your seat. Don't sit back in your chair. Don't fold your arms. But every time the altar's open, make your way to that altar because it's at that altar you can be a recipient. It's at that altar you can be a partaker. It's at that altar you can be blessed along with everybody else talking about excellence in the church we've got to be excellence in prayer we've got to have excellence in worship we've got to have excellence in preaching but we've got to have excellence in the altar what makes some people think that a visitor is going to go to the altar if a saint won't it's all real hard see some folks have just never you know this is really an issue because some folks don't remember the first time they walked into church because some folks were raised in church and they don't remember what it is to walk into church for the first time and be uncomfortable and not know if they'll be accepted. I do know what that's like. Some folks don't. 
And am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be? Am I going to be greeted? Am I going to be liked? Am I going to be? Am I going to be okay by going to that church? And it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage to walk through those back doors because they feel the presence of God leading them. And then they hear the word of God and they see people praying and they see some not praying. And they see some people worshiping and others aren't worshiping. And they see some people that are responding to the word of God and they see others that are not responding to the word of God. And then they see some go to the altar and others that look like they should have it all together are sitting back in their chair, not budging and not moving. How do you feel if you're a first time guest? I'll tell you how you feel because I've been there. If they won't go, I won't go. If they don't have the courage to go up, neither do I. Can we set a new precedent in Apostolic Revival Center? When the altars are open, we flood the altars. When the altars open, we flood so the visitor can realize, I want to be there too. If they want to be there, they look like they got it all together. If they need to be praying, I need to be praying. If they got to respond, I got to respond. Lift up your hands and let's pray. I promise I'm done right here just in a moment. Somebody pray. The altar is not a place for you to always admit guilt. Sometimes it's a place for you to work. Sometimes it's a place where you can get a hold of somebody else that you don't know they're struggling. And you can pray them through. If we're not careful, we'll start feeling the altar's all about us. So we only come when it's about us. But can I tell you? If you'll work those altars, you'll get a blessing just like everybody else on those altars. I don't just go to the altar when I need to be prayed for. I go to the altar. You know what? Sometimes the best time to go to the altar is when you don't need it. Because then you can lay hands on somebody else. You can come alongside a brother or a sister. And you can begin to pray. And you never know what that nice hand on the shoulder, what that prayer can mean in their life. Hebrews 6 and 2. Let's talk about a few things and then we'll be done here tonight. I hope this is okay. This, going, to all, going to the altar is in order in an apostolic church. Hebrews 6 and 2. Of the doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands. We'll stop right there. In other words, laying on of hands is doctrinal. Well, I don't like it. Well, regardless of whether you like it, it's a doctrine. It's in the Bible. But let me talk about excellence for a minute. Men, pray for men. Ladies, pray for ladies. I'll say that again. Men, pray for men. Ladies, pray for ladies. Because you don't want that visitor, especially that visitor, to open up their eyes and, and Brother Backrub's got something going on. You don't want that because it'll stop any connection they had to the spiritual. Well, I don't think that would stop anything. Yes, it does. I'll never forget I came to church and somebody had the belly rub ministry. If that's you, stop. There are, uh, we're going to talk about, when we get through, we're going through doctrine. When we get to the doctrine of laying on our hands, we'll go more in detail. Uh, but let me just suffice it to say, there's places people don't mind being touched and there's places people really mind being touched. And some people are not as comfortable as you, so you've got to be very careful if you're going to be the kind of person that lay hands on people. And, and let me put a plug out there. If you're not living right, please don't lay hands on anybody else. Amen. 
But if you are a ministering man in the church, it's okay if you pray for a visitor that's a lady, but do it decently and in order. Uh, uh, Acts 8 and 17, let's talk about this for just a moment. I hope this is all right on a Wednesday night. I'm hoping to equip the church so that when Sunday comes, we know how to act in the church. Uh, we have a powerful prayer meeting. We have powerful worship. We have powerful preaching. But then we can do our job in the altars when they come. Acts 8 and 17, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing wrong with laying hands when it's appropriate, because it's in that sometimes that people can receive the Holy Ghost. Sometimes it's that extra little push that people need to know somebody else is working with me, somebody else is praying with me, and they lay hands on them in the appropriate manner, and all of a sudden God begins to flow. And they receive the Holy Ghost. 1 Timothy 5 and 22. But let's put this in excellence. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Let's stop right there. We've got to be careful not to scare people. Hallelujah. Part of that, don't you don't need a back rub or a belly rub ministry. Hallelujah. We don't, I know this is talking about a lot of things, but let me put it in context of the church. Don't just shock them somebody. Oh, I hope I'm helping somebody. Come on, you know you've been there. Hey, and if you've never experienced it, you're the person that does it. And they just come up and lift your hands, close your eyes, Brother Christian. You don't know when it's going to happen. Just It just might come any moment. It might, and then they just, okay, we're not breaking necks around here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Say breaking ankles for the for the basketball court. But, but we're... We're, we're trying to do things decently and in order, and, and you don't want to. I've been getting a hold of God, having a real good prayer meeting, and, 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 and Brother Spiritual comes up and just gives me a good hand to the job. He thinks he's praying for me. I, I've had another brother. Listen, the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that, that the place shook. That doesn't mean you need to shake the person. Hey, if you hit the gym seven days a week, especially you, please do not shake people. I've gotten shaken Evan syndrome. I'm serious. I'll never forget there was this guy. His shoulders are broader than those doors. And he had this ministry to shake people. I don't know how he thought it was helping me spiritually. But I'm telling you, I got whiplash. And I was going. I don't know what was happening. All I know is I was losing brain cells. I finally had to stop him and say, hey, bro, I really love and appreciate you and admire you. But, but you're really hurting me. Could you please stop shaking me? And guess what? He never did it again because that's what a good person would do. But don't lay hands suddenly on anybody. You know what I like to do when somebody's praying? There we go. My wife's a good example. I just, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, 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 I'm just giving a little advice. I hope this is all right. I, I just, I'll just touch the hand so no, I'm there because there's nothing worse than somebody. And, and if you're going to pray for a lady, please try to be careful with their hair. Oh, I'm just helping. All right. Uh, Somebody shout, some lady give me an amen, please. You know, somebody asked, how do you pray for ladies, depending on their hairstyle? Yeah. Hey, I hope, that, is this all right? Is this all right? I'm just trying to help. You don't have to try to make them more humble. Praise the Lord, sis. Lift him up, lift him up. Oh, glory. Get her real humble. Hey, just, just pray with them and move on. Everybody said amen. amen. Let's stand all across the building. 
Oh, come on. It's, it's fun living for God. Let me give you a blessing here today. See this right here? This is Bishop Mint. He's the deacon of the church. Love him, keep him, hold him till death do you part. You run out of mints, I always buy a couple packages and put them in the office. You come by and grab a handful. That's the only thing I allow you to steal in the church. Uh, let me just put a plug out there. Don't steal cleaning equipment because somebody has. But if you want to steal anything, freely I have received, freely give. You're going to pray for people. Please be blessed by this anointing. All the church said amen. If we get it done right, we will have the most powerful church in the world. Some people say, well, that doesn't really matter. You're going against excellence because it does matter. Well, we just believe in back rubs, belly rubs, and shaking people. No, we don't. We believe in praying people through the Holy Ghost. And hey, if it takes a minute to see somebody filled with the Holy Ghost, I'll do it. If it takes making sure that I, I don't scare the daylights out of them to pray them through, I'll do it. Whatever we got to do to be excellent in church, we'll do it. But it comes right to this. Church, every service we come, we've got an opportunity to make that altar call powerful. It starts in prayer, and it carries over to worship. And then it carries over to preaching. And then we come. And people flock the altar. Saints, visitors, those that got it all together and those that don't have anything together. And they lift up their hands and they begin to pray. And, it, and, and you know what? We begin, to, we, get, we begin to pray one for another. And all of a sudden it's the effectual, energetic, fervent prayer of a righteous church that begins to see drug addicts delivered. That begins to see people filled with the Holy Ghost. Doesn't anybody want to see that in the church? Doesn't anybody want to see that kind of revival? Lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, lift up your voice and let's pray. I know we've had fun here tonight, but I hope this gets down to the very bones of every individual. From the pulpit to the pew, God. I want to be more excellent in my prayer life. I want to be more excellent in my pre-service prayer. I want to be excellent in my praise. I want to be excellent in the preaching. And I want to be excellent when the altar call comes. I want to make my way and pray for my family and pray for my friends and pray for the visitors and the guests. I want to create an atmosphere where people are changed. I want to open up this altar. Would you come? Let's start a revolution here tonight. Would you empty out your seats, come to the front, find a place to pray, and say, Lord, I've got to be excellent. I want to see people. You'll be a partaker of what God does here. You'll be blessed by what God does here. You'll be helped by what God does here. You'll be shocked the blessing you'll receive. You'll be shocked the favor. You could be sick in your body and God heal you. You could be financially busted. And though you're praying for somebody else about something different, God could bless you with more than you could ever receive. Oh, somebody pray. Come on, I feel it in this house. 
This is an excellent church. We are an excellent people. God moves in excellent ways. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God's going to fill people with the Holy Ghost. God's going to bless his people. God's going to bless his church. And I want to be a part of it. Come on, that's it, church. Let's go ahead and talk with God. This is not an admission of guilt. It's an opportunity to be a partaker. It's an opportunity to be a partaker. God, if you've got a blessing in this altar call, I want it. If you've got healing in this altar call, I want it. If you've got deliverance in this altar call, I want it. If you've got favor, if you've got a raise, whatever it is, bless me. That's it. Let's pray in the name of Jesus. Let every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. You are important to me. I need you to survive. I need you. church come on God's blessing people right now you could be a partaker of that blessing right now come on church we're going to another level we're going to a more excellent level in the name of Jesus 
In fact, if it's appropriate, man with a man, lady with a lady, reach your hand over, lay your hand on their shoulder, and begin to pray with them. This is the beauty of an altar call. You can pray for somebody else. You can you not only receive, but you can give. You don't know what they've been going through. You don't know what they've been struggling with. But God, you can work through me. God, you can bless my brother. You can, come on. Come on, this is what we fought all service for. This is what we worked all service for. In the name of Jesus.